morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. A very special welcome to two people who are with us for the first time today, uh, Malcolm. Thank you, Anne. Let's just keep a moment of stillness, recognising that we are in the presence of our living, loving God. This morning, our focus in terms of a hero is on David Livingston, and the opening hymn we're going to sing this morning is one that he translated into the Tswana language, which was one of the first languages he encountered in Africa. But we're going to sing it in English, so don't panic. Uh, it's a very old Isaac Watts hymn. Jesus shall reign, where'er the sun does his successive journeys run. And if you're able to, you're invited to stand as we sing. going to pray now. Um, am I on? Yeah, okay. We're going to pray now, um, and I'm going to lead us first in a prayer written by the Shona people from Zimbabwe, and then we will join together in the Lord's Prayer, and you're invited to do that in whichever version feels most natural to you. So whatever it is, your heart language, your first language, um, in whatever version, and if we've got sins and trespasses and debts, guess what? It all works out fine. So let's pray together. Great Spirit, piler up of rocks into towering mountains. When you stamp on the stone, the dust rises and fills the land. Hardness of the precipice, waters of the flood that turn into misty rain when stirred, vessel overflowing with oil. Father, who sews the heavens like cloth, let him knit together that which is below. Call a forth of the branching trees. You bring forth the shoots that stand erect. You have filled the land with people. The dust rises on high, O Lord. Wonderful one, you live in the midst of the sheltering rocks. You give rain to humankind. Hear us, O Lord. 
Show mercy when we beg you, O Lord. You are on high with the spirits of the great. You raise the grass-covered hills above the earth and create the rivers, gracious one. So we join our voices with people all around the world as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Now, you all did so well with the picture quiz last week. I thought we'd have another picture quiz this week. So I'm going to show you some pictures, and not all photos, but pictures, of famous explorers, ten of them. And I want you to tell me who they are and what they did, if you recognise them. And we're going in chronological order, so this is the one born the most earliest. Have a guess, George. It's not Magellan, it's earlier than Magellan, actually. Yeah. Cortes. No, it's not Cortes. It's Marco Polo, apparently. According to Wikipedia, anyway. <laughs> he was a Venetian who went to Asia and China. So we're moving on in time now. We're into the 15th century now. I'll give you a bit of help. It is Clifford, it's Vasco da Gama. Well done. Do you know where he came from? Portugal. He did come from Portugal. And what, what's he famous for? It is, well done, brilliant. Yeah, he was the first European to reach <coughs> India by the sea. Okay, anybody my age should be able to do the rhyme on this one. Christopher Columbus, yeah. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, apparently. Uh, do we know where he came from? He was from Italy. Clearly, Clifford's my expert on explorers. And he reached the Bahamas in 1492. Um, so he didn't discover America, no. America disputed he did that. So that's why I was quite careful I said the Bahamas because that's where he landed. But you're absolutely right. He's often credited with discovering America, but he, he wasn't the first. Okay. 18th century now. Captain Cook, yep. So where was he from and what did he do? Whitby. Whitby. He was, yeah, he was a Yorkshireman. Oh. Or an Englishman, you see. I, was, I did have British in my piece of paper. Mm -hmm. to be, kind of. uh, and what did he do? South Seas. South Seas, yeah. So it was the east coast of Australia, New Zealand and Hawaii. Okay, this one you may or may not know. He is... Late 18th, early 19th century. Jeff, have you got any, any clues? Because he's from, he's Welsh. No, it's not Patagonia, but that's a good guess. He is George Everest. He charted India and Nepal. He went out and, and did some mapping. <laughs> And um, his successor named Mount Everest after him. He didn't choose to have it named after him. In fact, apparently he objected to it being named after him. But who knows, maybe that was a bit of false humility. I have no idea. 
Okay, into the fill in the, the 19th into the 20th century. That is Amundsen, yeah. Where was Amundsen from? Norway. He was from Norway, and what did he do? He got to the South Pole first, and he also got to the North Pole. And he was also the first to go through the Northwest Passage, so he did a lot of exploring. Yeah, David Livingstone. Okay, where is he from? Lantire. And what did he do exploring-wise? That Victoria Falls, yeah. yeah. It's, interesting. it's interesting what you've got all these puzzled faces of Scots who've probably known this story even longer than I did, and I've known it since I was this big. Yeah, he was an explorer in South and Central Africa. Okay, moving forward, who's this one? Yep, Jacques Cousteau, who, where do you think he's from? France. And what was he famous for? He was an underwater explorer. So all the ones we've had so far have been on the land, but he explored underwater. Yuri Gagarin. Yeah, Yugi Gagarin. Where was he from? Soviet Union. Soviet Union, Russia. Well, I'm not sure whether he was actually literally from Russia, but Soviet Union anyway. And what's he famous for being? Yeah, and that was before I was born, so that's a long time ago, isn't it? Not that long before I was born, but before I was born. Okay, and I'll just sort of put a woman at the end just for a little bit of balance. Anybody know who that is? Anybody know what she did, even if you can't remember her name? No, that's Alan MacArthur, I think you're thinking of. No, this is... This one, this one is roughly the same age as me. She was born a year, early into the year after I was born at the end of... So she was born in 1963. This is Helen Sharman, who is the first British astronaut, and she's self-funded. She was also the first woman to go onto the Mir space station, so she actually has a first in her own right. There are lots of different people who've explored our, our Earth on the surface... Uh, under the water on our Earth, and then off into space. And our, our, as we're looking at David Livingstone today, it seemed good to start off with some explorers. I'm told that one of David Livingstone's favourite psalms, and they would probably have chanted them back in those days, but we're not going to, was Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? My help cometh from the Lord. What some of you may remember is that our own Jean Delmore, who was a missionary in India, in her letters, she actually, her first letter home, she recorded that as she arrived into India in the, in the dock and looked up at the mountains, this was the psalm that came to her mind. And so it's good to sing this 20th century paraphrase of it. I lift my eyes to the quiet hills and will remain seated as we sing this.
So let's have a think about today's hero. Last week we used a lot of images of banknotes to start our thinking and we looked at women who were featured on banknotes. So it seems quite appropriate to recognise that the Clydesdale Bank issued a, a £10 note with David Livingstone on it. He is actually described there as an explorer, not a missionary, which is maybe interesting in its own right. I think I'm dipping out a bit. So this is Blantyre. Who's been to visit the David Livingstone at Blantyre? Who can remember going there as a child? Most of us. I actually think that when we were children, we stood on that globe because I think the fountain had been drained. But the nice lady I mentioned this to at the Livingston Centre the last time I was there said, there's no way that would have happened. So who knows? My memory might be very dodgy. But this was a mill, and this is where the, <coughs> excuse me, where the, the Livingston family lived. He was born on the 19th of March, 1813, the second of seven children born to Neil and Agnes. So this is um, a picture, a family photograph. When he was 10, he went to work in the mill as what's known as a pizza. Does anybody know what a pizza did? What a pizza did was they had to keep an eye on, on the looms and if a, a thread snapped, they had to tie it up quickly together. So an important job and not one without um, its risks. And he would work all day at the mill and then he would go to evening classes at night. When he was 13, he started to learn Latin. Um, somebody locally decided to put on evening classes in Latin for the boys and a few of them went along, but most of them got fed up with it. So he just used to take his Latin book along to work with him and stand it on his loom and have one eye on the Latin book and one eye on the loom. And he obviously did okay at this because by the age of 18, he was promoted to be a spinner. Also at the age of 18, he joined a congregational church in Hamilton. He'd previously been at the local parish church and he'd struggled really with some questions around faith. So his family had all moved to the congregational church, but he'd stayed put. And it took him a long time to, to come to a point where he felt he wanted to own his faith um, but he went to Hamilton Church and he read about mission in China. And this decided him, I want to train as a doctor and I want to go as a missionary to China on my own. I'm not going through any organisation. He was incredibly independent and possibly a bit obstinate. So he saved up his money and in 1836 he joined Anderson's College in Glasgow. Does anybody know which Anderson's College is the forerunner of? Strathclyde, yeah. It's very interesting. If you look online, you'll find that both Glasgow University and Strathclyde University claim him. Um, he did have connections with both, to be fair. But yeah, it was Strathclyde was really... What is now Strathclyde was where he trained at that time. He would stay in Glasgow and he got quite homesick, so he would walk home to Blantyre every weekend, 14 miles each way. Well, it says it's 14 miles, but I looked up, maybe further. And then he realised he wasn't going to ever manage to pay his way through medical school. So he signed up with the London Missionary Society, who enabled him to finish his medical training down in London. Um, he was at Charing Cross Hospital, um, 
and also at Moorfields Eye Hospital and at a forerunner of a women's hospital. And whilst he was there, he decided to go to Africa. China was no longer possible. He, he wanted to go to Africa. In Africa, he married Mary Moffat, the daughter of another missionary, and they had six children. He actually fell out, well, he didn't fall out with the LMS, but the LMS wouldn't keep funding him long-term to go exploring, so he left from there to continue his journeys. And I realise you can't see that very well, but it gives you an idea of all the journeys he went on. Um, his coast-to-coast one was done whilst he was a missionary. The further north ones he did independently, funded by um, benefactors from such organisations as the Geographical Society. Towards the end of his life, there were following false rumours that he had been murdered, there was an expedition led by Henry Morgan Stanley, which led to the famous saying, Dr Livingstone, I presume. But I want to show you this person. This, I'm not quite sure of the correct pronunciation, but I'm sure somebody can put me right. Sacheli or Sacheli, who was a chief among his people. And he was the only person that Livingstone recognised as a convert to Christianity. And it's quite clear that they had deep conversations about Christianity before finally, in 1848, Sir Shaley was baptised. Now, Livingstone actually felt that Sir Shaley fell away from his faith, but actually, Sir Shaley himself was adamant that he remained true to Jesus Christ, but he didn't accept entirely the white version of the church. He was the first indigenous African theologian, I think, that, we, that I found a record of anyway. Amongst other things, one of the things he adopted was the idea of a black Christ. And from the dis- I can't find a picture of what he actually had, but the description suggests it would have looked something like this. A black man with long black plaits or dreadlocks and, and, and very much an indigenous one. So his own African Christianity was something that was really important to him. It's probably fair to say that all through his life, Livingstone wanted to promote the Christian gospel, but he's most remembered for his extraordinary adventures whilst he was exploring Africa. So that's just a very brief whistle-stop tour of Livingstone's life. All our songs, I think, from now on are in African or African origin, even if we're singing them in English. So we're just going to sing a South African little song, Amen, Theakadumisar. How do we connect any of this with a Bible story? I want you to imagine for a few minutes that I'm not me. 
but actually I'm Simon Peter. I was a fisherman, and a pretty good fisherman at that. I had my own small business with my brothers, and I worked for my dad. And we were doing grand. I was out fishing on the sea, and we brought the fish in, and we tended to our nets. And then he came along. That man that I knew about, I'd seen him around. The one who preached in the synagogues, the one whose birth seemed to be shrouded in a bit of mystery, but who was attracting followers. And he came up to me and he said, Simon, because that was my given name, Simon, he said, come with me, leave your boats, leave your nets, and I'll help you to do something much more important, much more exciting. Well, I was a bit gobsmacked, to say the least, but I went. And he looked at me and he said, you're a really solid bloke, you know, Simon, really strong I'm going to call you Rocky. Only I'm going to do it in another language so it comes out as Peter. But basically that was my name from then on. I was Rocky. And so off we went and we had some amazing adventures. And I just want to tell you about a few of them. There was one day we'd been out doing what we did, teaching. He was teaching and, and doing miracles and all sorts of stuff. And then he said to us, well, who are people saying that I am? Well, some people thought he was John the Baptist and some people thought he was a prophet, so we said it. And then he looked at us and he said, yeah, but who do you say that I am? Well, I was in there, quick as a flash. You are the Christ of God. Yep, Rocky, you're right, he said. Oh, do you know, I felt so good. That, that was amazing. But then he went on and he said, I'm going to go into Jerusalem at some point and there I'm going to be killed. Well, I just, no. No, 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 no. No, Jesus, that is not going to happen. Not going to let it happen. And I was shocked. He said, and forgive me quoting this, get behind me, Satan. He called me the devil. I was mortified. But, after that, things poddled along okay for a while. And we seemed to get on fine and, and we did stuff and we laughed and we joked and it was great. And we were back friends again. And then, well, you'll know what happened. I mean, he did go to Jerusalem and he did get arrested. And I was so tired and I was so confused and bewildered and I stood by the fire in the middle of the night and, and these people kept saying to me, oh, hi, you were with him, weren't you? And, me? No. No, no. no, never heard of him. Don't know who he is. Don't know what you're talking about. And then he looked at me. And I cried. I was broken. But it didn't end there. A while later, we'd been out fishing. I just couldn't face it anymore. I'd gone back fishing and I'd had a rubbish night. We'd not caught a thing. And this bloke on the beach said, just chuck your net out the other side and, and see what you get. So we did, and the, the net was full, and then I realised it was him. And we took the, them into the shore, and we had a lovely barbecue of fish for breakfast. And he said, right, come on, Rocky, you and me, we're going for a walk. Okay. He said, um, do you love me? Well, yeah, Jesus, I, I do love you. And he said it three times. 
And in my head, I thought, that's because I denied you three times. And he said, just look after my people. It wasn't long after that he went for good. But he trusted me. He put me in charge of the disciples. Me, Rocky, who could get it right one minute and wrong the next. Who had two left feet most of the time and sometimes opened his mouth just to change feet. And I never quite got on with everybody. If you know my story, you'll know I had a few fallouts with that upstart Paul. But hey, we'll gloss over that, shall we? Because what I remember, what I will always remember, is that Jesus saw something in me, which is why he called me Rocky. And he still saw that in me when I was Rocky in a different kind of way, when I was all over the place. And he, he gave me work to do. And for that, I'm grateful. And for that, I'm still remembered. We have an option now of how we choose to explore some of the ideas this morning. Um, You can stay in here and I will do a reflection, a little sermon. There is some colouring at the back um, and we've got some clipboards. So if you wanted to get colouring and come back to your seat, you can do. Um, If you want to just sit and think, that's fine. Through in the room opposite, we have some some artwork. Um, You'll have to self-guide because there's nobody here to organise that this morning. But you can do some pictures, um, an African silhouette uh, and and an African sunset thing you can do. There's some colouring out there. Um, If you need some space to run around, you can go out there. Or if you want to discuss any of the things, the questions that might arise from what we've thought about today, you can do. So we're going to have some music while we move and then we will come back together after we've explored in our own way for a little while. like Mary Slessor, who we thought about last week, and just like all of us, David Livingstone was a unique blend of nature and nurture. Best remembered for his incredible achievements in Central and Southern Africa as an explorer, one recent biographer notes that, measured against his own aims and ambitions, he could be deemed a failure. His is a story of highs and lows, in which he sought to live out his faith the best he could, despite his own repeated bouts of ill health, his fractious and fractured human relationships, and many disappointments. The real Dr Livingstone is very different from the boy's own version that I grew up with, even though I'm a girl, but perhaps it's his frailty and finitude that makes him, just like the Apostle Peter, somebody whose story is worth considering a bit more closely. The young David Livingstone was a very deep thinker. He took his religion very seriously. 
And at the age of 12, he experienced his first spiritual crisis. He perceived himself to be utterly wicked in God's sight. And he also perceived himself as totally incapable of doing anything about that. He just had to wait for the Holy Spirit to come and put him right. And that's partly why he didn't move churches with his, his family as a younger man. This anxiety he carried privately for several years, and it, it does seem to have been a real struggle. But there was another struggle alongside that. He loved science. He enjoyed reading about the natural world. And he struggled to work out, well, can I be a Christian and a scientist? Is that okay? Ironically, or, or maybe it was the Holy Spirit, it was his stubborn nature that led him to read books by the Reverend Thomas Dick, a scientist, that actually enabled him to make his own profession of faith and find his own peace. So he decided then, well, I'm okay, I can go to Hamilton Congregational Church now with my family. But that wasn't all plain sailing, because they weren't sure whether he was sound enough for them. So he had to do five months of evening <coughs> classes to check out his doctrine before they would admit him to membership, which they did when he was 18. From the outset, Livingston was very clear that personal salvation and the avoidance of hell was not what this was all about. Rather, it was about the direction his life went in going forwards. He said, and all the quotes from him come from this, the biography I read this last week, in the glow of love which Christianity inspires, I soon resolved to devote my life to the alleviation of human misery. An interesting uh, thing for a young man at the age of 18. Perhaps this is a good place for us to pause very briefly, to think about our own stories. Are there some similarities with Livingstone? What are the differences from Livingstone? And if we were to retell our own story, those of us who are older, our own early story, how would that read? What were the questions that we wrestled with? What were the things that troubled us? Or was it all easy? What did it mean for us to make a decision, whatever that looked like, to try to follow Jesus? As an evangelical Christian, Livingston was determined to win, win others for Christ. He was by nature impatient and very easily frustrated when his preaching efforts didn't come to very much at all. I think he forgot just how long it had taken him to reach his own point of coming to commitment. And he would regularly move on from one place in Africa to another to try and get success. He would preach to a group of people and if they didn't respond, well, you know, I've been here a couple of years, it's not going to happen, right off I go. But along the way he came, became to be good friends with two very different African chiefs with whom he had earnest and profound theological conversations. And both of these were important in shaping his own faith. I've already mentioned Sacheli, or Sacheli, who is reckoned to be his only convert. He wanted to learn to read, did Sacheli, and they used the Bible in Tswana. That was the only printed material in his own language. 
And he, he studied the Bible so much so that for the rest of his life, he could run rings around any missionary. He knew the Bible so well. He knew inside out and back to front by the sound of things. But very early on, he said to Livingstone, since it's true that all who die unforgiven are lost forever, why did your nation not come to tell us of it before now? My ancestors are all gone, and none of them knew anything of what you tell me. How is this? Whew. What a question. You say we've got to follow Jesus, otherwise we go to hell. Why didn't you come and tell us this before? Because people I love, on that basis, are in hell. Livingston admits in his writings that he thought about the guilt of the church, that the church had been so lax in, in, in doing this, but he didn't admit it. Rather, he said, well, actually, we've been really busy converting our own countrymen. Interesting question, isn't it? What are we so busy doing that we don't do what we think we should be doing? On another occasion, they were discussing the topic of polygamy, which Livingston saw as a stumbling block to conversion. And so Charlie again said, well, I wish you'd come before I got married so many times. He had five wives by this time. And he said to Livingston, well, will God accept me? And this is where you can see he knew his Bible really well. If he acted justly, fairly avoided fighting, treated both his own people and strangers kindly, killed witches, and prayed to God. It's recorded that Livingstone was a bit worried about the killing witches bit. But I wonder what we would have said. And I wonder if we've ever had conversations a little bit like that. Can I be a Christian and still? For Livingstone, monogamy was non-negotiable. So I wonder, have we got non-negotiables? What are they? Are they cultural or are they Christ-inspired? I think we do Livingston a disservice if we fail to recognise our own cultural conditioning and the way it impacts on our faith. <coughs> Only this week I was down in Birmingham for um, a trustees meeting of a Baptist charity um, that I'm part of and I was chatting to a man who is part of a very small Baptist in a very poor part of a very wealthy town in the south of England. <coughs> the literacy levels in that part of the town are very low. Most of his congregation don't work, can't read. They've got nobody who can play music in their service. And on a Sunday morning, about halfway through, they have a fag break. Because most people smoke and they can't go that long without a break. And he said he'd had a conversation with another minister. He said, oh, I don't think that's appropriate. You know, they really shouldn't be smoking. And this guy and I were saying, well, we think we know where Jesus would have been. Outside, on the fag break, chatting to the people. But times change and the challenges don't. It may not be polygamy, it may not be smoking, but we all have our things that we need to work through. So Shelley found his own place in history as the foremost missionary to Africans in Africa of his time. His intelligence and his own recognition of cultural factors led him to challenge the received wisdom of white European church. And he says he remained 
firmly committed to Jesus Christ. He rejected a lot of white Western <coughs> European churchianity, as we might say nowadays, but he was an adamant follower of Jesus and shared that with other people. So that was one of the challenges that Livingston faced. A second one came as a result of his contact with another sympathetic chief called Sevitwane, with whom he was having some really good conversations. And then Sevitwane became ill with pneumonia and he died with no apparent conversion. Livingston was brokenhearted and his journal records this. I will weep for thee to the day of my death. And he seriously reappraised his own view about the fate of unbelievers. He said, I would cast forth my sorrows in despair for thy condition, but I know that thou wilt receive no injustice whither thou art gone. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He even noted that he envied the Roman Catholics who could pray for the dead. His own theology, this kind of turn or burn theology, pray the prayer or you're not saved, hear the gospel or you've had it, it was challenged because here was somebody he loved dearly who hadn't got to that point. So does anything resonate with us in those stories? And are life events or experiences have challenged our own theological thinking? Or how have we worked with a dissonance when life experience and what we believe don't quite fit together? There's an awful lot we could go on to say about Livingston, his aims, his achievements, the legend that's grown up around him. But the biography that I used noted at the end that at one level he was a failure. He had three main goals and none of them were achieved. One person overtly converted to Christianity. He was an abolitionist. He wanted to stop the slave trade. And by the end of his life, the slave trade in Africa was worse than it had been at the start. And he wanted to find the source of the River Nile and he failed miserably. But the writer of the biography goes on to say that for Livingston there was a bigger picture. And that bigger picture was a conviction that ultimately God's plans would be fulfilled and that his task was to play his part in that the best he could. Maybe it's helpful for us as we reflect on our own hopes and dreams, struggles and failures, as we recognise our own less lovely characteristics and the life experiences that have shaped us, that it's part of a bigger picture. And it was as I was looking at David Livingstone that I started to think about the Apostle Peter, the big fisherman who, well, you know, we know all about him. He could be right on the money one minute and totally wrong the next. But he was never abandoned by Jesus. Jesus never gave up on him. And his story is as legendary and inspiring as any story of, of explorers or people of more recent times. And I think he has something to say to all of us. Maybe there was something in Peter's story. The call, the moments of insight, the moments of the opposite, the doubting, <laughs> the questioning, 
the running away, the coming back. Maybe some of that resonates with our own experiences. So is there one thing that we might take away from today? Perhaps it's simply the recognition that the greatest heroes are flawed, whose personality has sometimes got in the way of what they were trying to do. I find that reassuring. Perhaps it's a realisation that there's a broader context and a longer time frame in which to view our endeavours, so that even if we don't see our dreams reach fulfilment, we haven't failed. Perhaps it's just being given permission to wrestle with tough questions of faith or theology. Maybe it's none of those, maybe it's something else. But whatever it is, maybe we need to think about what it means for us as we take our own next steps, trying to follow Jesus. to test out our linguistic skills, <laughs> at least on one verse. Siahamb enku kanyem kwenkos. Siahamb enku kanyem kwenkos. Blah, blah, blah. And if you can't do it, just give it a go, and it won't matter, and then it moves into English in the, the subsequent couple of verses. But let's stand if we're able. And if you want to move around a bit, you can, because that's, I'm sure, how it's done in Africa. Thanks.
<laughs> David Livingstone's vision was built on three pillars. Christianity, commerce, and civilization. Words are slippery and meanings change over time. And recent biographers suggest that by civilization, what Livingstone actually meant is what we would call development. And certainly his concerns over health, education, and the abolition of slavery would seem to fit with that. And his aims in terms of commerce also had a development edge to them. And because of this, it seemed like a really good idea to use the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals as a basis for our prayers. The tricky bit, there are 17 goals with 169 targets and 304 indicators. So we couldn't do justice to any of that in one day. But what I would like you to do is to take one of these sort of postcards, uh, which you can then take away with you after the service... should be enough, I think, to go round. They just might not be all in the right places. Um, what we're going to do is I'm going to show some images on the screen uh, and there will be some pauses with words and there is a response to the prayer uh, which will appear on the screen. But basically, um, it's God of mercy, hear our prayer. So um, the, the, anything that appears on the screen written in yellow is for me to say... Um, if it appears in white, it's for us to say all together. So let us pray for the implementation of the Sustainable Development Goals, pledging ourselves to be part of the answer to our prayers. We pray for an end to poverty and hunger and for good health for all people. God of mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for education for all, gender equality and access to water and affordable energy supplies for all communities. God of mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for economic growth and sustainable industrialisation for all nations, employment for all people, economic equality within and among countries and safe human settlements. God of mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for sustainable consumption and production action to combat climate change and the conservation of seas, marine resources, forests, 
land, and biodiversity. God of mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for peaceful and inclusive societies and justice for all and for elected and accountable institutions at all levels. God of mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for revitalised global partnerships focused on sustainable development. God of mercy, hear our prayer. In the name of Christ. Amen. Loving God, we bring these gifts of money and we ask you to help us to use them wisely, to, do them for the, to use them for the good of all people in all places, to live and be gospel wherever we are. Amen. And so, <coughs> excuse me, as we prepare to come around the Lord's table, so we sing again. Let us break bread together with the Lord.
As we said at the start of the service, this is an open table. Anyone who's trying to follow Jesus, indeed anyone who's attracted by the stories of Jesus, is welcome to receive. An invitation to the Lord's Supper from Mexico. Come on, let us celebrate the Supper of the Lord. Let us make a huge loaf of bread and let us bring abundant wine like the wedding at Cana. Let the women not forget the salt. Let the men bring the yeast. Let many guests come, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the poor. Come quickly. Let us follow the recipe of the Lord. All of us, let us knead the dough together with our hands. Let us see with joy how the bread grows. Because today we celebrate the meeting with the Lord. Today we renew our commitment to the the kingdom. Nobody will stay hungry. I wonder how the apostles would tell the story. We did as Jesus told us. We went into the city and looked for a man carrying a water jar. It took a while, but when we did, we gave the code word, and he led us through the streets, twisting and turning in case we were being followed, and eventually we reached the place. Climbing the stairs, we came into a large room, all ready for us to prepare our meal. We waited patiently until the evening, getting everything ready. As darkness fell, we heard the sound of familiar voices on the stairs. And in came Jesus with everybody else. And everyone settled down, it was time for us to eat. We retold the old, old story of Moses and the Passover. We sang our favourite psalms. We prayed the prayers that we'd known since childhood. It was so peaceful and familiar and safe. And as we knew would happen at this point in the evening, Jesus picked up some bread and prayed a blessing. Then... Just before he passed it round for us to share, he said, look at this bread that we're about to break. It stands for my body, which will be broken. Think about me when you share broken bread. The atmosphere changed. Something was afoot, but no one quite knew what. This wasn't in the script. We listened attentively. We watched more carefully. (coughs) Eventually, Jesus picked up the cup of wine for the final blessing. (coughs) Look at this cup of wine, (coughs) poured out for us all to share. Just like this, my blood will be poured out 
When you drink wine together, think about me. A prayer of thanksgiving from India. Servant Christ, help us to follow you into the upper room, to share your meal of bread and cup, to accept our place in your one body, broken to create a new humanity. Servant Christ, help us to follow you. Amen. Big loaf worthy of the Mexicans. A broken loaf to remind us of Jesus. We eat as we receive in gratitude, <coughs> in remembrance, and maybe in renewed commitment. And at the end of the meal, Jesus took a cup of wine. A cup to symbolise the new covenant between God and earth. Between God and people. And yes, between people and people. We will retain our glasses that we can drink together. And as we do so, perhaps we can think of other places and other times where we have shared. And remember that those people too are part of the same body of Christ. <coughs> Let's just take a moment, look around us. People from different parts of the world. People with different stories. People who are secure in their faith and people who have questions. People who have been in the church for a lifetime and people who haven't. But all are welcome. And all share together in remembering the Christ who died for all. Servant Christ, help us to follow you into the city, to claim its whole life for God whose image we bear, to confront the ambitions of those hungry for power, the inhuman orthodoxy of the legalist, with a startling message of your present action, your living power. Servant Christ, help us to follow you. Amen.
And so, as we prepare to leave and embrace the challenges of our lives and our worlds, let us ask God's blessing. May God bless us with strength to seek justice. May God bless us with wisdom to care for our earth. May God bless us with love to bring forth new life, now and always. Thank you.